Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. William H. Macy, who's, you know, he said some really terrible things. He told me one day, he was jogging by my house. He had his little headband on, you know, like he really works out. (laughs) And he goes, Clark, you're single-handedly bringing down the real estate. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And without further ado, I shall introduce my guest today, who I'm very, very happy to have here. My guest, Anthony Clark, is a prolific television and film actor, as well as a respected stand-up comedian. He's probably most well-recognized for his role as Greg Warren on the CBS syndicated series, Yes, Dear but also known for his fantastic recurring role on Ellen and his lead role on the television series for NBC that went three years, Boston Common. He grew up in a small town in Virginia and got into Emerson College in Boston and was named College Entertainer of the Year while studying there. He also won the National Top College Comedian Award as well from the American Collegiate Talent Showcase. During college, Clark started to do stand-up comedy as well as improv at a group at Emerson College. He rose very quickly through the stand-up ranks in Boston and got a big break when he was featured on the 1995 HBO Young Comedian special hosted by the late Gary Shandling with, get this, Dave Attell, Louis C.K., and Dave Chappelle. Incredible, incredible lineup. Clark has had many amazing, amazing moments in this business with some of the greatest directors and actors and comedians that you can imagine. Some of the ones I should mention here are in Peter Bogdanovich's film, The Thing Called Love with River Phoenix, and in television, so many amazing things like working with Dan Aykroyd in the show Soul Man. Clark also was the host for a year of the Emmy-nominated reality competition series for NBC Last Comic Standing, the year that Josh Blue won the crown. 
He's been a guest on multiple appearances on late night talk shows, including Late Show with David Letterman, The Tonight Show, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Daily Show, and The Rosie O'Donnell Show. Recently, Clark executive produced and starred in this first one-hour stand-up comedy special for Showtime entitled Ambiguous, which is fantastic. You should check it out. Please welcome my guest today, actor, comedian, stand-up, my friend, a guy who I started with, Anthony Clark. You point to me when you're ready. I'll be over here looking at your producers. They're very well-dressed. What kind of beer is it's green tea? Oh, green tea and a Heineken bottle. It's called actor's tea. <laughs> How many of those green bottles do you have a day? Well, I knew I had to talk to you today, so at least this is, well, Dan caught me at the Rathskeller. What's it called? The Cellar. It's this not notorious, legendary bar. Like, it's been here since what, Dan? Do you know of it? You've probably never been over there. No, I'm not a big drinker. Well, me neither. I go there for the ribs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you should be a Tony Romas. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to do. We're going to go way, way back. Time machine. I want to find out where you grew up, okay. what your family dynamic was like, your mom, your dad, your brothers you, and you sisters. You've talked to her a million times. I know, but our audience doesn't know. So ten She's ten. like, well, Barry Katz is the nicest Jew I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> but take us back where you grew up, the town, everything. Well, I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia. It's like a little uh, town. Uh, it's famous for... Uh, Jerry Falwell and the Moral Majority, Liberty University, I guess now is a big thing, a uh, big college there from the church. Um, when I was growing up, it was a really small town, you know, a uh, couple McDonald's, um, you know, small. I mean, but but people came out of there, huge athletes, Charles Haley, five Super Bowl rings, three with, uh, I think, San Franditi, and then two with Dallas. You know, I used to take the Haley boys to school every morning and it William Campbell. I was the only white boys that could go to the upstairs uh, bathroom. You know what I mean? Why is that? I don't know why. I think the humor, you know, I was coming from Lynchburg and my mom married a, you know, tobacco farmer. So we went 30 miles out of Lynchburg, which Lynchburg was a huge city to me at that point. You know, they had a Walmart, they had a McDonald's, you know, they had a stoplight, they had a downtown. And then it was out there, but, uh, you know, and then uh, 10th grade through 12th grade went back to Lynchburg, which I thought was the big city. And, you know, there, there, there's uh, entertainers out of my even high school. Phil Vassar, big country music star. Um, Vince Gill, huge, uh, what do you call it, bluegrass out of Gretna. But when you grew up there, what was like, what kind of home did you grow up in? Were you it was, you know, it was like, you know, my mom got uh, divorced when I think I was five. My brother went off to Thailand with the Air Force. He was 11 years older than me. So he was 17. Uh, his girlfriend, Debbie, was pregnant at 14. They had my nephew, Steve. Debbie was 14. My brother was 17. First kid, you know, in the family and... uh you know, looking back on it, I didn't really know that I went to Boston to college that we were poor because we never, you know, hurt for food or anything. But when I went to Emerson College in Boston, you know, I was meeting these kids from New York City and 
London. and. But how did you get to the point where you're growing? Like, I don't know what kind of house you grew up in. Was it a, a small? Farm? I mean, it depended. If I was living, if I was living with my dad uh, that summer or to go to Brookville or EC Glass High School, I lived in White Rock Hill, which was a very, uh, I don't know if Lynchburg has a, has a ghetto or a, you know, a, a urban area. But uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was as tough as Lynchburg could get. And then my mom lived 30 miles out on a tobacco farm. So it was a farm or a community where you were scared to walk around at night. But we, me and my brother were never mistreated on White Rock Hill. We were the only two white kids that could get off the bus and walk to Granny's house and nobody would say anything. And I think that was because my grandmother, Mamie Clark was her name, you know, was just so loving and giving and uh, just so before her time, I guess. You don't get into Emerson College when you're hanging out at the tobacco farms. You have to be talented. I was in elementary school and there was this kid uh, who taught my fourth grade class. His name was Art Iannucci. He was a Greek kid, uh, I think. Uh, that was his ethnicity. He just finished Lynchburg College, and he taught fourth grade. And he decided, well, I'm going to do a musical with my, my, you know, fourth grade class. And he did uh, Little Abner. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but it used to be a musical on Broadway, I guess, a long time ago. And anyway, I was, you know, I remembered I was auditioning for one of the roles, and I didn't get it. And, he, and I started crying. He goes, calm down. You're going to be Little Abner. <laughs> You're going to be the yeah, lead. Yeah. But I was mad that I didn't get the, the other one that he started auditioning for first. But how could you get the lead when you had no experience? It was fourth grade kids, Barry. I mean, what do you know? Either they can keep a note or they can't, you know? I mean, what do you tell about fourth grade kids trying to do a huge Broadway musical? So how did Stand you- here and don't pee. <laughs> <laughs> So I how, mean, what do you tell them? And when you did Little Abner and the play first night, there's a crowd there. and you They got went a, nuts. They, it, they, they acted like they had never been out for ice cream before. But how did you feel, even though you were young? I knew I, I knew some, I knew there was only two times in my life that I, something clicked like that. That was then. And then the first time I was in Atlanta, it was between my junior and senior year at Emerson and Boston. I was down there with David Cross. I was living in Atlanta. I was doing a play called To Kill a Mockingbird, 17th Street Theater in Atlanta. And I would go up with uh, Paul Clay and David Cross every night to go see them do stand-up. And, um, you know, we were at the punchline one night in Atlanta, and uh, Dave introduced me to the guys that ran the club. I don't remember their names. Fox? Uh, was it Chris DePetta? Chris DePetta and Ron Fox or something like that. Uh, it was two of them. I don't remember. Ron D'Annunzio? Yep. That's it. And so... Chris DePetta and Ron D'Annunzio. And so what happened? So then? I went up and did stand up. First time? Five minutes. First time ever, you know, not in a college, you know, cafeteria environment. How did that go? I came off stage and Dave Cross, you know, came out and he goes, wow, wow, that went pretty good. I'm like, I just need a minute, man, because I was emotional, you know, and uh, I just, it was the first time you knew that you were good at something. So I projectile vomited. That's not a lie. 
That's not a lie. You ran to the bathroom. No, it was not running anywhere. It was, it was like, thank you. Thank you. It was so emotional. You know, it was like that summer in Atlanta at the punchline, you were like, everybody, you know, was so good. I can't really remember any of the names. I think Brett Butler was up that George Wallace. You said something that was really profound, which I think we all go through. And even my sons who are here right now watching, that's so emotional. And I think to myself, that moment when you finally do something and you realize, holy shit, I, I can do this. I am great at this. Well, I wasn't good at anything else. You know, all my brothers and stepbrothers were great at, you know, sports and a athletics and you know, I mean, I was okay, but I wasn't great at it. You know, my brother was great at wrestling, and my stepbrother Leonard and Robert were great at football. Look, I played baseball and softball games. Come on. You were amazing. I saw you play softball, and I don't think you ever played softball. <laughs> he struck out four times in a row, and they're throwing the ball like this. No one could believe it. And he went to school on a, a athletic scholarship. I was having vision problems that day. <laughs> um, he could not hit the ball like this, whipping at it. Listen, I, I, I fouled one off. <laughs> <laughs> I got a piece of one. Okay, so you finished the play. You really are excited about so it. So I have that to live there another 12 years. You know, you have to live there another 12 grade. years, but you know that you can act, but you have to live there another 12 years. Right. Where do you find a place to go to acting camp? Like one of my sons is going to this great place, uh, Theatricum Botanicum, which is Will Gear from the Waltons oh, right, uh, place yeah. on Topanga Canyon. And he loves that. My other son doesn't like acting. I mean, right. he, he likes to watch it maybe, but he doesn't right. like to go. So, partake. so what do you do for the next 12 years? What's, what's in Lynchburg? Well, I mean, it's very acting? limited. It's very limited as far as the arts. I mean... And you had no money. You know, I stayed involved with the, the, the Lynchburg Fine Arts Center and, you know, all the plays at my high schools. And I really loved it. And, you know, it was like... Um, you know, people were asking you to be in this. It wasn't even, uh, you know, it's just, I think comedy comes natural to people that just have it. You know, I mean, you don't have to think about being funny. You don't have to, you know, sit down and write things. They just bubble out of your mouth and you, people go, that's hysterical. And you write them on a napkin and you try to remember it. And even if you don't remember it, you still remember it because it's just, uh, it's just uh, an eruption of, of volcanic ash because that is the way you have a way to express, um, you know, who you are in a very conservative, uh, you know, a very, very conservative Republican, um, you know, place to grow up, an environment. Were you the go-to guy for all these plays from that point forward after the Labner? Did they say you're the lead every time or? Yeah, but everybody wanted you to be in the thing, but there was a moment that I took some time off, I guess. You know, I guess my 11th to 12th grade year, I just didn't want to, you know, do it anymore. And then um, there was this guidance counselor. Her name was De uh, Carol Artizone. Um, they were a Mormon family in um, in Lynchburg, which is very ironic uh, because that that's so weird to even say that. 
And uh, she was a guidance counselor at uh, the high school. And she goes, look, I've seen you do a couple things. And um, what do you want to be in life? And I'm like, I didn't even know what to think because everybody wanted to be a baseball player or, you know, NASCAR or something. But uh, I didn't know that there was an opportunity to, um, I go, I want to be an actor. And it's, as weird as that sounded to everybody in my family, you know, they would be like, okay, all righty. Where do you apply for that? Okay, so obviously your mom on the tobacco field house wasn't helping you fill out an application for Emerson. No. Obviously your dad in his area wasn't so helping the, the, you. The, the guidance counselor basically just said, uh, uh, thank you, very talented. Maybe you should audition for a couple of these, uh, you know, colleges, programs. And uh, take her audience through the put, process because we don't know what well, the process she put, is. She put a lot of mail in front of me. She goes, this is the envelope from Northwestern University in Chicago. They have an amazing theater arts program, an amazing film and, you know, radio and television production and film, all that. And um, then it was Northwestern, North Carolina School of the Arts. And uh, who else was it? Uh, what's the one in Pittsburgh? Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie Mellon. And then um, Juilliard and Emerson. Got it. And, so, and it costs money to apply to these things. Sometimes did a it? lot of money. I don't think it did then. <clears throat> Didn't? I think you just applied. Okay, so you applied paperwork first. And then you had to audition for the program. Okay, how many wrote back and said, we want you to audition, or you had to audition with the paperwork? Emerson was my first uh, visit. Okay, so you have to get to Boston, Massachusetts from Lynchburg. That cost money. Where my, the money? My the guidance bank? counselor took me. Your guidance counselor flew you to? No, no, drove me, me, my mom, and her daughter to audition at Emerson on a Thursday afternoon. How long a drive was it from Lynchburg? No, we went there one time before for two days, and she goes, do you like Boston? And we were at Faneuil Hall, and I ordered tea. And they brought me hot tea. And I go, no, I do not like it. <laughs> when you order tea in Virginia, you do not get this little baggie of hot water. <laughs> you get sweet tea. And it's refillable. Mommy's little helper. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. You know, I'm not allowed to have that. <laughs> That's bullshit. Can we curse? You can curse. No. Yes, you can. This is okay. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, Instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it.
So Anthony, I just want to use this as a prop if you don't mind the spot. So it's right there. I'm like, hmm, well, I don't really drink. I haven't had a you beer. You never drink. I know. I'm like, I haven't had a beer in like five years. Maybe I'll just, you know, we're at this party. Maybe I'll just try. He has worked in a bar his whole <laughs> life and I've never seen him have a drink. And so I think, eh, I take the beer. I'm about to go like this. And one of my kids just runs by and just grabs the beer and throws it in the garbage. <laughs> it's like little, why is he a little secretive drinker? Is he a little is he a little at night when the door shut, taking that little nip? I hope not. I hope not. So I still haven't had the beer. So that's uh, you've never had a beer. Actually, I have had a beer. You don't like it? Don't really like it. Yeah. Well, what about the mixed the uh, cocktails? Occasionally, I'll have... How does it make you feel when you've had to? Are you tired? You want to go to sleep? I don't feel like I'm in control. Well, I that's, want to that's, feel like I'm in that's control. That's part of it. That's part of the magic. <laughs> <laughs> Are these too busy? Should I buy these? Oh, my God. That's so oh Kathy my. Griffin. So now tell me the what you planned for your audition for Emerson. I just got a monologue. You know, they said uh, prepare a monologue. I don't even remember which one it was. I think it was from a Tennessee Williams play. You know, I had a southern accent, obviously, so I wanted to stay, you know, in a southern kind of thing. Got it. So you go to the audition. There's obviously people waiting, yeah. and you have a number to go in. All right. You come into a room. How many people from... Twelve. Em Twelve people from Emerson, and they're sitting at... And they're highly... Uh, you know, it's like a wine-tasting group. You know, they're just so sour, and you, like, feel intimidation the moment you walk in. So you walk in, and the energy is, is bad. It's not bad. It's just you know it's upped. This is not a high school, you know, musical theater audition for Dames at Sea or whatever. Got it. But, so you do the audition there. You walk out. When you walk out, how do you feel? Do you feel like great. you nailed it? Yeah. Got it. And how many hours do you think you took to rehearse that before you, you did it that day? I never like stand in front of a mirror and try it. I just keep doing it over and over in my head until I think it's right, you know, and then I... I let it out at once. This is auditioning. This isn't acting. You know, it's not like sitcom acting. This is a real audition for, you know, you know, there's a couple programs in uh, the country that you want to be in. You want to be involved in Yale, you know, Emerson, Northwestern to this day, Carnegie Mellon, North Carolina School of the Arts. There's a, there's a bunch of them. USC has a huge program, you know. Got it. So how long before you find out you got into Emerson? That afternoon. That afternoon. They walked out and said, you, you're, you're coming here. And I didn't go to any other meetings. So you canceled all the I, other meetings? Yeah, I was like, I, I love it here, you know. I didn't know about the reputation of Emerson. I didn't know that, you know, geez, you know, the people that went to Emerson. I didn't know all those people had already gone there. I didn't know Henry Winkler was from there. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that, you know, it, it has, I didn't know Jay Leno was from there. I didn't know any of that. So how do you afford to pay for Emerson Well, that's College? the next question is Carol goes, we can't afford it. And they're like, well, you know, um, we can, you know, we can look into work study. We can look into scholarships. We can look into grants. You're coming. So 
So you were so extraordinary that they... I don't know that. I don't know what they thought. I don't know what they thought. I tell you what, in my career and hearing people who have auditioned, I've never known anybody that went in for a college, I guess you'd call it audition or whatever for the program. To get into the acting program. That got told that, that same I, day. Well, they came they out were, like three minutes later. You know, I was like... You know, I was like, I thought it was over we're trying to get my coat. And we had to go right back in the car back to Virginia, which is a 12-hour trip. So, and they went, hey, Anthony, hold up for a minute. And then, you know, they talked to uh, Miss Artizone, who was my guidance counselor. And she turned back to me and she goes, you're in. So, you, you go to Boston. You figure out how to make it work. And then that's when I met you. Well, I didn't know if I was going to make it through college because I was a, you know, C average student in high school. I was like, how in the world am I going to understand, you know, college math? But the thing about Emerson is there is no math. <laughs> there is no science. <laughs> you just have to be pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> you said the first time you did stand up in front of a regular club crowd Atlanta. was in Atlanta. Yeah. But you entered a college comedy competition when you were in college. What was right. the inspiration to do that? Just everybody was doing it. You know, David Cross, Laura Keitlinger, Mike Bent, everybody in my comedy group. This is pathetic from uh, Emerson. We had a, there was two comedy groups on uh, campus at the time, Emerson Comedy Workshop and This is Pathetic. And you know the people that have come from Emerson Comedy Workshop, Dennis Leary, who else? Mario Cantone, you know. Brilliant, brilliant people. And uh, the other one was This is Pathetic. And, you, of course, my buddy David Cross, you know, that's the one I wanted to be in. So David Cross from, of course. Atlanta, Georgia. So funny. And so you start doing stand-up. You enter a comedy competition. How do you win? I don't know. They decided that I won. I mean, it was all on a video, uh, the, the submissions, but then the huge finale was in Atlanta, I mean, on uh, Nashville. And it was called American Collegiate Talent Showcase, ACTS, A-C-T-S. So that's what happened. So I came back right after that, and I did two uh, open mic nights in the same night in Boston, all on Commonwealth Avenue, Stitches, which I got into the Comedy Riot, and then up to your club, play it against Sam's, which, you know. So you entered the comedy competition in Boston, the Boston Comedy Riot. What happened there? I got in. Got in. You were in the finals, weren't you? In the finals. Me, Wendy Liebman, Tom Bailey. Yeah. Hysterical to this day. Yep. Still think about him. Yep. I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's And who won that competition? Brian Frazier won it. Brian Frazier, that's right, from yeah. Emerson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got it. And so you started hosting shows at my club on Sunday. Sunday night and then got Wednesday nights at uh, Stitches. And the first show I ever saw professionally in Boston was Sweeney Meeny Wednesday night at uh, Stitches. And this was a very, very unique and original kind of show at Stitches because they would host it together. Steve was a character guy. Kevin Meeny was a very animated kind of character. And they would do a man on the street thing at the end with video camera with wires, no battery packs. So they would drag these huge long wires out on the street and they'd be there filming guys out on the actual Commonwealth Avenue with cars driving, stopping. <laughs> and there'd be a huge movie screen inside the club. It was incredible. Meet and Kevin so Flynn. Who else was on that? 
Jackie Flynn. People would just, they'd plant comedians on the street yeah, sometimes. and just act like these random people are just walking up. Kevin Meany made it brilliant by uh, being out there, and he would go, look up! And they would shoot a street light. He goes, a full moon! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was so, like a fraternity humor to it. You could talk to people and just do complete improv, you know? It was unbelievable. And I would sneak out on the street and just watch Anthony do it. And he'd be talking to somebody. You'd be watching him from maybe like 15 yards away and hearing him a little bit. You'd hear the laughter and applause from inside the club. And the people talking to him, wouldn't, they wouldn't, didn't know that it was being beamed on the inside of the club. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Well, my second stop that night after the comedy riot was played against Sam's, legendary. I don't know if you've tooted your own horn or buttered your own muffin about it. I mean, it held what? Uh, I mean, if you packed it and you knew you had the fire marshals on you every night. 150 if I packed it, about 125 if I didn't. <sighs> you could not move in that club. If there was a fire in that club. It would have been bad. There was one exit up this little <laughs> stairwell. And you had 300 people in there on a Paula Poundstone night. Barry was getting Paula Poundstone to play Play It Against Sam's. And she would sell out every show. Well, she could have sold out theaters, but she played Play It Against Sam's. I had thousands of dollars in cash. I was a young guy. I'm like, oh my God, I, I guess this business is lucrative. really uh, lucrative. And I just never had anything like that before. But Anthony came in. Remember who was hosting that night? Zito and Bean? Yes. What a memory. You're not getting Alzheimer's. Here, are you ready for this? Yeah. Uh, let me see. Remember their their bed where one was spinning over. I'm a Jew and he's a wop. He's a wop. He's a Jew. I'm a wop or a wop and a Jew. What are we gonna do? That was their opening. Steve Bean was a Jew and Chris was a wop. That's right. And that's how they would open the show. Jew wop a Jew wop a Jew wop wop wop. <laughs> the sand, then they'd shake their hands and go. And then one of them would lay on a bar stool, and the other one would take a swig of beer and spit it over him like that and do the Hawaii Five O theme song. That's right. Ba -ba 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 -ba. And he's got a stream of beer going over him, and he's on a bar stool trying to get up in the ocean. And the crowd was going mental. Yeah, the cerebral comedy. Oh. <laughs> Hey, it was a college room. That's what it was. It was a college room. It was incredible, and it was packed, and Anthony I killed. remember my first two jokes there, which, you know, I was persecuted for. Like, in my own soul, I had to go, what am I, what am I saying? One was a Madonna joke, and I love Madonna. What was the joke? I can't tell you that. I'm not, I said I would never say it again. And then one was a Wham joke, um, George Michael's joke. It was the wake me up before, before you, you go, go, go. I remember. Got it. Soundtrack of my life, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a Jew and he's a wop. Jew up a Jew up. <laughs> Why does that make me laugh? I don't know. It's funny. I don't know. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, 
radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And so I decided I wanted to manage people. I wanted to manage Anthony. Had you managed anyone at that point? Louis C.K. was my first client, and I think you were my second client. And so I decided to manage you. And this was an interesting thing. One of your friends was an agent, Perry Kipperman, a really amazing agent. She was at Bressler Kelly Kipperman. Yeah, boutique agency out of New York City. Incredible agency. Guess who they handled? They handled Leslie Nielsen. Yep. Jack Nicholson. Yep. And you. Mary McDonald, Adam Horowitz. And so they took on a little-known client like Anthony little Clark. little stand-up from Boston. I'm just starting in the business. I have no idea what's how I scored the agency. I'm thinking, ah, well, how's this going to work? Are they going to be supportive of him? The first television audition that comes in I is get for an NBC, NBC pilot called Social Studies. They fly me out. I get Social Studies for NBC. Who's the dude that uh, produced uh, uh, Bosom Buddies with Tom uh, Thompson? Chris Thompson. I interviewed him. He passed away. What? Yeah, he passed away about a year ago. I interviewed him before he passed away. I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow, that sucks. He was such a brilliant man. Anyway, um, I auditioned for that, the NBC sitcom, uh, Social Studies, and... Um, dogfight at warner brothers so i was at nbc and then went to warner brothers in the same day and then perry calls me about 3 30 i'm at griffith park smoking a joint because i'm so nervous i'm shaking i think i have parkinson's you know what i mean just from the flight you know when they have to fly you first class i've never been flown first class in my life and you know i'm staying at the madrian and and perry calls me and goes sit down big guy I go, what? She goes, you got the pilot. And you also got the movie Dogfight, Warner Brothers, starring River Phoenix, Lily Taylor, Richard Panabianco, Mitchell Whitfield. You know what he's from? What big movie is he from? My Uncle Vinny. That's right. God. And that was like, here I am, a young manager we're basically starting together. Never been to L.A. before. We never done this before. And the first day he's auditioning for things, it's a movie and a television series. And then I went up at the improv that night. It was the improvs. Uh, what was the Bud Friedman thing on A&E? Evening, evening at the, at the improv. improv. Yes. And Bud Friedman, let me read this next guy's. Oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wow. Oh, okay. Anthony Clark. Wow.
<laughs> now, I have to ask you this because I've never asked you this before. And just be honest when it comes to this. When you go in and it's your first thing and you, you got to let it go, man. You can't think about how important it is. You can't think about anything. You have to stay like Wade Boggs. You know what I mean? You know, you know, you've done some probably bad things in your life. You know that. Look, there was no social media at that point. You didn't have to hear people say this or that about you. You know, if they didn't have your number, you had no idea. You Promotion at that point was on a marquee or in the newspaper on the radio. You couldn't self-promote yourself, you know? And that's what a lot of things are today is, you know, people have, uh, you know, their websites and their accounts. And, you know, they develop a following over social media. But then it was just like, it wasn't that. It was newspaper and radio and, you know, if a movie was advertised, you know, it was by by design. When you got the movie and the television pilot. I knew that I was right. You know, that I, you don't know. I mean, you say you want to be an actor to people and they, they just look at you weird. You know, there's, you know the chances of that happening? Like one in a million. Yeah, it's like probably lower odds than that. But. but the fact that you knew when you were a young kid you want to be an actor and your first day in L.A. and you book a major television pilot and a major film, I want you to know something. In my career since that day, I don't think that's ever happened before to me. And I don't know any other actor or comedian where they book two things in one day, a film and a television show. So afterwards, you must have had that emotional thing that went through you again. Well, I think the, the big thing for me was, you know, I was so into film. You know, I loved film, and River had already been nominated for an Academy Award. So I was really excited to work with him because he was, you know, he was the Leonardo DiCaprio of his day. And, um, you know, I was just was like uh, taking that three months in Seattle was... Um, you know, very uh, eye-opening and, uh, you know, got to work with, the, you know, how many people did I meet and that experience of three months in Seattle with all these people, you know, Gus Van Zant, and, you know, and the next movie, um, you know, had a direct effect of River Phoenix again. It was another River movie, The Thing Called Love with Peter Bogdanovich, starring Samantha Mathis, Sandra Bullock, um, you know, I mean, so many great, uh, everything, great country music stars. Just, you know, to be in, involved in it at that level is, is, is intense. It's, it's overwhelming, you know. I, you don't really know what to make of it. Even when it's over, you don't know what to make of it, you know. You hope you did your job. You hope you, um, you know, we're good. And um, all you can do is what you can do. And... You just hope it's the best, and you just want to give a great performance. You know, you, when when people are paying you, you know that kind of money, and um, you know, or you know, you get your you get your name up in lights. It's uh, I love everything about this whole career except the fame. That's the one weird thing, and Dan can tell you that. I'm putting a gate up around my house right now because there's tour buses. And they've allowed them in, Holly, in, the, in the Hollywood Hills to actually have volume. So when they talk to when they talk to the tour people on the bus, it's not just in their ear; it's 
you know, you can hear it from inside your house. And that's just weird to me. And uh, I think I got scared when um, my brother was in from Virginia Beach and I had my mom in and everything. And there's a knock at the door and I opened the door and it's like, a, I don't know, like a 50 year old woman and she's holding like a nine year old girl's hand and she goes, oh, wow, it is you. And I go, well, I don't really know how to respond. I don't know. I don't know what that means. She goes, no, don't be scared. I mean, the tour bus uh, stopped and said, this is where you lived. And we just wanted to see if he was telling the truth. And um, so, wow. <laughs> and you just get a little, I mean, that's just a little weird. I mean, and my neighbors, you know who my neighbors are. You know, Charlize Theron and William H. Macy, who's up. You know, he said some really terrible things. He told me one day, he was jogging by my house. He had his little headband on, you know, like he really works out. <laughs> and he goes, Clark, you're single-handedly bringing down the real estate. Rates. <laughs> 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 Too many parties. I just wanted to let you know if you ever want to get a gift for somebody special, you can do so at our merch store at berrycats.com. We have a ton of shirts in many different colors with a plethora of the most impactful quotes from the podcast that have resonated with you throughout the years. I know you're going to like them a lot. They're really, really special and of the highest, highest quality. And it's a special gift from me to you. For any item you choose, you can take an extra $5 off by just typing in the promo code Barry. So just go to BarryCats.com, to the store, check it out. I know you won't be disappointed. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out. We have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to ikilljfk.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? ikilljfk.com. Check it out. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Just believe in your heart and, you know, you know when it's right and when it's wrong and uh, just pursue your dreams. And that's all you can do is work hard and, uh, you know, stay true to yourself and and, um, you know, with a little God-given luck, maybe just pursue what you want to do. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. 
Listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.